It's happening. Kenisa Bekele on the streets of Boston. The Boston Marathon fields are so good this year. We're doing a bonus podcast to talk about them with the woman responsible for them, the BAA's Mary-Kate Shea, who's the elite athlete coordinator for the marathon. We break down everything Boston. And since we did a full podcast for everyone yesterday, just a quick reminder, get electrolytes without the junk. Go to drinklmnt.com slash let's run for a free sample pack, six flavors sent your way, $5 shipping. You don't like it, I'll refund your money. And don't forget, the Milrose Games are absolutely loaded this year. Get your tickets now, January 29th in the New York City Armory. It's going to be awesome. Go for the racing, find the after party afterwards. And tomorrow, we got the Friday 15 for Supporters Club members. Go to let'srun.com slash subscribe. We break down the Houston Marathon. Is Kara D'Amato really going to consider going for the American record in the marathon? Find out tomorrow. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. It is Boston Marathon announcement week. We got the elite women's field earlier this week, and now today, Thursday morning, we have the elite men's field. They've both been announced, and we are super excited about it. I'm just going to say it. These are the best race fields in the history of the race, certainly since I've been covering the race, starting in 2015. And we're very lucky to be joined by the woman who assembled these fields for the BAA. It's Mary Kate Shea. Mary Kate, thank you so much for joining us on the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. Oh, I'm honored to be here. Love you guys. You know your stuff, that's for sure. Well, that's what we like to hear. Happy to chat. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. We got Robert Johnson here as well. He'll be asking some questions. But I guess the, the place to start, first of all, you probably, if you're listening to this episode, have seen the fields by now, but we had an article up on the site about how good women's field are, two best marathons in the world, Perez, Jim Chirchia, Jocelyn, Jim Cosguy, Olympic bronze medalist, America's best marathoner, Molly Seidel. We now have the men's field to look at, Kennedy Sipikele, one of the, great, the greatest runner of all time, in the opinion of the Let's Run.com staff. Got 202 man Titus Akiru, Lawrence Girono, Valencia champion, Albert Correa, New York City Marathon champion, Jeffrey Camwara, half marathon legend, two-time New York champ. I mean, there's a lot of talent in these fields. And I guess the place to start, Mary-Kate, is you know, when, when did you actually start assembling these fields? Because we just had a Boston Marathon in October. So when did you start recruiting for 2022? I started recruiting um, when the 2020 race was canceled. So I had Perez Jepchetier on the list for to run in 2020 as a debut at Boston. I had been looking at her and eyeing her. So she is a long time woman to Boston, but we had her in 2020 and then she went on to do amazing things. So really well in advance, probably um, you're always working on the next field while you're working on the current field. So we have actually signed people for the following year race minutes after the current year's race. So it, it's ongoing because you're always looking at developing talent. You're always looking at who's coming up through the ranks, who's good at World Cross, who's good at World Halves, who um, 
um, you're just looking at the overall picture. So it's a seamless assembly all the time. Right. So I guess let's let's talk about a few athletes specifically because Kennedy Spikele, he's a guy who's never run the Boston Marathon course. It's really exciting to see him in the field. When did you start targeting him and how did that come about and when did you end up signing him? So for Bikele, um much like all the top athletes in the world, I'm in communication with those agents throughout just because we talk about all of their athletes. So for those folks, men and women, it's always understood that Boston always wants the best talent. We're not, um, you know, prohibiting anyone from coming here. So they know we want the best talent. They also know that we're going to put a field together that's really specific to Boston. So as your listeners know, there's no pacemaking in Boston. It's point to point. If you have a headwind, which is most years, or weather that's horrible, which is most years, it's going to be a difficult task. So having that in mind, it takes a special type of athlete to run Boston. Some of the athletes who've been the best in the world have sat down on the curb and cried around Boston College. It's not easy. So we keep that in mind. And the agents know this because everyone has high hopes at Boston, right? The thing at Boston is you might be 17th on the list of PBs and you can win the friggin' race. You know, you've got a, you have the possibility of winning the race. So keeping that at all. All in mind. So Bikele, yes, always wanted to be here. Strong Ethiopian tradition in Boston, obviously. Great Ethiopian community here in Boston. Everybody knows who Bikele is in Boston. Everybody knows who he is. So getting him um, was a major feat for us, and we're extremely excited. Um, he had been leaning towards Pat, you know, in 2014, 2016, flat and fast. And now I think he wants to challenge himself. You know, he had done the Paris and the Berlins and the Londons. And now I think he wants a challenge. He still wants to break the world record, by the way. But he's he's up for a challenge. Well, he won't be able to do that in Boston, but we're definitely excited to see what he does uh, on April 18th. Another guy you mentioned just before we started, someone you wanted for a while was Jeffrey Camworor. And I think with his skill set, he seems really well suited to the Boston course. How long had you been, you know, trying to get him? And what was the feeling like when you finally agreed? I've been trying to get him since um, probably his uh, maybe first or second World Half goals, really. You know, he is phenomenal. As you know, has won World Half three times. He's won World Cross three times. He's won New York twice. Uh, his coach is amazing. His coach has a great um, cadre of athletes. I got to go over to Kenya a couple years ago and got to see some of these camps and some of these training groups, and the work ethic is amazing. Uh, I know, Robert, you've been there and, and talked to everybody <clears throat> in those camps as well. But Kim Laura is a special runner. Uh, he was nicked up and injured this past year or so and went into Valencia, actually not in complete shape. He used it more as a test, and he did a solid job there. So we're excited. He's really targeting Boston, and he's going to have some good matchup. I mean, Laura's earlier in the race. He's one of my all-time favorites. What a lot of people don't know is, you know, he's won like eight marathons or something like that, including Boston, Chicago, by seconds. And he is probably one of the smartest pro men I've ever met. I really wanted him in Boston this year. But, and this was, you know, talking pre, 
you know, probably back in April. And uh, he knows where he wants his career to go. So he knew, I'm going to run the Olympics. I'm not going to rush back to run this fall marathon just for the heck of running this fall marathon. I'm going to take my time. I'm going to recover. And I'm going to run Valencia. So he knew this at the beginning of the year. And he relayed that information to us. So he's not in a rush. He's not driven by incentives, appearance fees, or anything else. He has a clear path for his career. And he's very exciting to watch. And he's tough as they come. We want to know a little bit marathon race with him there and, um, you know, coming in forward just by seconds. That was a great race. The other thing I like is um, Titan Sekiru. He's not well known, but he's a winner of Honolulu. And I always look at Honolulu when assembling the men's field because Honolulu is a really tough race. And if you can succeed there, you're most likely going to succeed in Boston. So we've had a number of past Honolulu champions succeeding in Boston. He's really a cool guy to watch. We have, of the past eight Boston marathons, we have champions from the past seven races. So the combination of those past champions with this new talent, exciting talent, I'm, I'm really excited. Jonathan, I'm probably more excited than you. <laughs> yeah, I bet you are. Um... Because, yeah, this has got to be one of the best fields. I think it's, like I said, I think it's the best field I've ever had. I, I'm glad Chirono's in there, too, because, like you said, he's not just the, one of the best marathoners in the world. I'd say he's number two right now behind Kipchoge, even though he was only fourth in the Olympics. But, you know, he came back, he won Valencia. And what you're what you pretty much guaranteed with Chirono is not only that he's going to run well, but it's going to be an exciting race. Because, as you said, in Boston in 2019, that was a three-way sprint finish that he won. Chicago later that fall, that was also a sprint finish that he won. It was a sprint finish in the Olympics for the silver and bronze medals. He came up short. Like, it just seems like every race that guy's in, it comes right down to the wire. I was helping out in the broadcast booth in Chicago, and I just dropped everything, and I ran on the booth, and I thought I was going to have an attack, but just watching that finish was amazing. Really, really something special to watch. The other thing that's interesting is that... Um, there's some guys who run solid races. They may not be the most consistent, but to have Lenny Berhanu come in runner up this year, that was crazy. So we have the podium returning. So Caputo and then Lenny and then Yamali Yimmer, who has the national record in the half for Ethiopia, all returning. But to watch Lemmy succeed um, and to persevere. So that's another great thing about Boston is some of these past champions, even Jeffrey Carulli has been pretty solid here along just to watch some of the past champions fight it out. They know in Boston, sometimes it's a race of attrition. They're going to be very strategic in the opening miles. And that's why I always throw in some fast half milers because we don't have pacers, but I want a few wild cards to mix up the race a little bit, or I hope that they mix up the race a little bit. Not so much CJ Alberson style from last year, but you know, someone who's going to push it. Ryan Hall was a good person to do that. Um, others along the way have been good to do that. But throw those in to push some of these guys. But then the people who have experience on the course, they know if they stay with it through 30K, most likely they will come in top 10. In the early years, say like 15 years ago, a lot of these African runners would just step off the course. It's going to be a better day. I, I don't need to put it all out here. This isn't my day. But now they've really learned that 
if you stick with it in Boston, you may prevail. And the women have learned that much quicker than the men. When you started assembling this field, you know, men and women, who were your biggest targets? Who were the people you really, really wanted to get to run this race? Perez, Molly, Jocelyn, Bikele, Chirono, um, Kim Rulwar. I love this Arab Kip Tanui who came in, uh, what did he come in, third in, in Chicago. Uh, he, he's a great ad. Bethel Yegon, he came in second in Berlin. Evan Stubat had been trying to get him for a while. He was the fastest player in 2020. Uh, I have so many. It's like asking me to choose my favorite child. I mean, I, I think <laughs> I really like everybody in this field. And what's interesting to me, too, is if we want to afford the down the list, uh, Mary Guji obviously wanted her back. I'm really excited. We can talk about the, do you want to talk about the women later? We get, I mean, I was kind of figuring we talk about both. Yeah, Merge. Yeah, we're merging them. So on the men's side, what I think is really exciting is that when you go past, uh, let's say, Albert Career, and it's misleading, right? Because he's a 208 guy, but he is, what is he? I haven't even looked. He's like 19th on the list or 18th on the list. Hold on. This is this will be interesting. You're a stats guy. Let's just figure this out real quick. He is 14th on the list, right? But this guy knows how to run strategically. Great job in New York. Won the Abbott World Marathon Leaders title. As did Perez and um, Johnson. Both believers for that one. Once you get past career, <clears throat> then you're running into a lot of 208 and 209, 210 guys. And there's some interesting names there as well. A lot of top 10 at the Olympic trials, the U.S. Olympic trials, a lot of top 10 in Chicago, New York, um, that type of group. So call many. Let's take him for an example. He's going to go in there and fight and, and mix it up and, and come in top 10 and, and improve one last year. And Jerry Bulls got followed. Um, Trevor Hothfrau, the second fastest Canadian of all time. That's an accomplishment. You know what I mean? Let's have him get in there and mix it out. There's some great talent just below that two week um, mark that I would never pass up on. Look at Yuki Kawauchi. A lot of people don't realize they're like, oh, Yuki's the Japanese winner, first Japanese winner in 31 years. What they don't real about, realize about Yuki is that he was made by Japan for four world championship teams. Four. In Japan in a country that's probably more crazy than Great Britain about athletics. This is, like, crazy. And Yuki just, you know, earned a PB this year in Atsu 207 PB. So if you had to, if I had to ask you, Jonathan, Robert, who's got a podium on the men's side? I'm not even going to ask you for the winner. So I'm not, I'm making it really easy. Who are you picks right now from the gut, from the brain? Who would you pick? I think I have to go to Toronto. Yeah, the record here. I'm putting you in the hot seat. Yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't expect to be getting the questions, but I have to go to Toronto just because he always runs well. He's always on the podium except for in Sapporo. So I'd probably go him. I think I'd go Cam Warroar. And then third spot, you go Akira, Robert? I don't, I don't know. I mean, the third spot, it could be someone. I'd have to study it a little bit cl- more closely, but... Yeah, probably Akira ran really well. He won two marathons last year. He, you know, he DNF'd in London, but he won Abu Dhabi, and I think he won in Milan with that world leader in the spring. So 
he's super fit, but it's I'm pro- Benson Kipruto with his big move last year. I mean, I'm going to leave him off the podium. It's it's tough. It's a really tough decision. Yeah. First of all, Mary, I think I set a podcast record. I didn't talk for the first 15 minutes because <laughs> I just got the list and there's so many names to research. And I just, you guys were having such a good time talking, but thank you. I'm so excited. I said yesterday, I was like a kid at Christmas. I said, I want Pekele, I want Pekele, I want Pekele. And I got Pekele. Like when I was in New York and with him, it just, it brought me back to like, he's almost my age. Or I mean, he's so well, not. No, you got like a decade on yeah. him, Robert. Come on. Okay, but it brought me back to when I was like young and sort of a, still a fan and not a journalist. And I'm like, this guy's a legend. So I wouldn't pick him as most likely to podium, but if he could win, it would be amazing. It's just such an amazing storyline. I was telling John, I said a lot of these other guys are amazing, but they're kind of replacement level in terms of how well they're known by people not named, you know, not working for Let's Run dot com. Right. So he's so big. That's you know, really exciting to me. And then just to hear you talk about the field, I also listened to you. You did the Alley on the Run Run podcast last year. And I was like, wow, she really, I, I don't know. It was really just gratifying to me to hear, like, you know everything about all these runners. They're individuals to you. They have their own stories, their own passions, their own dreams. And I always was wondering, do people treat it that way? Or are they just like, Oh, he's a 208 guy, 206 girl, 219 girl. Like, no, you, you're really, there's a lot of thought going into this. Yeah. And it's about um, kind of getting to know what their personality is. And also, what motivates you to succeed, you know, on this professional level, kind of getting into that psychology. I love bringing disappointed runners back to the Boston Marathon. Vincent Caputo came in 10th in 2019. He, he, it, a lot of athletes, some cried after Boston, and a lot speak to me right after Boston. And disappointment isn't a bad thing. You know, Bikaila was not happy with New York. I see that as an advantage for him, for Boston, because he's going to be even more driven to prove that he is the greatest runner of all time. He can succeed on difficult courses. He has that extra bit of motivation to run up. Can you imagine how disappointed he was in not putting him at the Olympics? He has that added motivation. There are others who have gone head-to-head or not gone head-to-head. Look at um, <clears throat> some of these folks on the list. That is great motivation. Rahan, who coming in second, do you think he's going to want to miss out again? You know? Yeah, well, one of the quotes that struck me from the podcast last year is you said, I mean, obviously they have to be talented, but you said, I want someone that's really motivated. The course picks you and you know, they've got to be tough. I mean, obviously they have to be fast or they wouldn't even be in contention for the field. So, and the intelligence. And then I also loved how you said you don't mind having someone who's a little bit crazy or a wild card just because they spice it up. And I think Bikile is somebody like that. Like if he's feeling good and the weather's good, might he try to, you know, pull a Jeffrey Mutai and just do something ridiculous? Yes. And then would the field go with him? Probably because it's Bikile. You right. Know? That's, that's and, the thing. It's like, then, be, it's going to be those open miles. Everyone's just going to be looking left and right and left and right. And, you know, uh, <clears throat> it's going to take a map. You know, Meb didn't look left and right. He said, I'm going for it and they can chase me down. And it's, they're going to have to have a hell of a race to catch me on Wilson Street. And then you're talking about Meb. I was thinking about that with Camor. Like, I think Boston's perfect for him. He doesn't have the fast PB. 
you know, so I'm like, he's an amazing marathoner. In wait, tactical... wait, wait. You just said he doesn't have a fast PB. This is a 205 guy. Well, I know, but compared... That's 2022. Age of super, super Shoes, Mary-Kate. You know that's not the same as it used to be five years ago. But it's like, how could it not be faster? Because this is the former half-marathon world record holder. So... That's true. And I was looking up, you know, I know you guys like the stats, but I was looking up. So what did Jeffrey Mutai come into Boston with before he ran his 20302 in 2011? He came in with a PB of 204.55. So he improved that PB by, what, two minutes? So this would be good for you guys to, to figure out. But And especially, Jonathan, you had that Captain Dereba comment about, you know, her commuting with the 218. How does it translate? You know, on paper, you're this fast. I don't think it translates very well at Boston. You know, what the outcome is going to be. Of course, you think of that when you're assembling the field, but I've always thought about Boston too as I want to bring in incredible depth because it creates a more interesting race. So I'm just not going to bring in the five fastest people in the world. This year, I did have the opportunity to bring in some other fa amazingly fast people. But we want to create strategic race of people who are very accomplished across the board for many years in some cases um to mix it up and see what happens the depth is amazing because you know our big complaint with chicago is you there's no depth whatsoever but can you talk a little bit about i'm sure some people i've always said the one thing i don't know about the sport is like the money and the parents fees and etc but is it pretty standard like a 206 runner is going to get x it doesn't matter whether they're going to chicago boston Amsterdam, or do a lot of these people, would we, would we be surprised if we saw the contracts like, wow, these runners have similar PRs, but one of them's making significantly more, or I assume Americans make more relative. Let me just tell you what everybody's making this year, okay? Let's start <laughs> with Bikili. No, <laughs> of course, it, it depends on past accomplishments. Uh, it depends on accolades, successes. It depends on what they're going to bring to the race based on those past accomplishments. From cross country to half to ten to Olympics, um, everything everything's thrown into the pot. And uh, we have nineteen countries. It doesn't matter what country you're from. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is what have you done to date, <clears throat> and that's how the value is assessed. As far as comparison to other races. You know, people who were like, well, you know, basically people will run for free in Boston because there's not much competition. No, we value the fact that you're going to get paid the same this year as you build next year or the year before. And because we value professional runners put three to four months into this one day, they need to be compensated accordingly that this is their profession this is how they make a living they deserve um an appearance fee because they're putting so much effort into it it's not just one one day one race it's it's a whole year on thing and also you build in relationships for years going forward with the same athletes and the same agents so yeah we try to do our best obviously it's a race organization um, and so you have to balance the budget 
with everything else from housing, logistics, lodgings, meals, guests, agents, everything. I mean, you're clearly passionate about the sport and a fan of the sport and know these people. I need like $20 million and I would take care of everybody. Well, good. But that's one of my concerns. Is there any chance, I've always worried, I feel like one of the reasons why in Let's Run we sort of rank the marathons and try to remind people how good London is every year to keep Austin and New York on their toes, is I'm fearful that at some point these races could turn into nothing but glorified charity runs. And I love the charity aspect. And I love, when my, when my brother won the Marine Corps Marathon one year, I remember talking to a 65-year-old lady. She said, I can't believe your brother won. That's so amazing. I said, I can't believe you just ran, you know, whatever your marathon time was. You know, I was 22 years old age at the time. I was like, that seems amazing. I've never run for four hours. You just ran for <laughs> twice as long as he did. <laughs> so, but is there any chance that, I'm just worried that people not named Mary-Kate Shea may not appreciate the elite aspect of some of these races. Yeah. I mean, the history for Boston, you know, it's 126 years now, but it's always been an athletic endeavor. And all the major races obviously really recognize that value. But at the end of the day, um, this is a sporting event. This is bringing the best runners in the world together. I, I don't think there's any worry there. I do agree with you that the charitable um, giving, I don't know if Boston's like up to 300 million out for Greater Boston over the past 20 or so years. It's phenomenal. And providing people with the opportunity to run these races through that program, just because Boston with the qualifying system is a great um, door opener and benefits a lot of people. But no, I think we're going to, you know, when the next person comes along in all these races, that's going to assemble, assemble these fields, they're going to leave it in good hands. It'll, it better be all based on great athletic endeavor. Yeah. So it's interesting. You came into your job sort of from a journalistic background, you were a freelance writer and then you, you started working on like the bios of the runners and then sort of took over the elite athlete thing and you know it's interesting because you want a good story i heard you say you always want a good story which is fantastic actually when you retire maybe jonathan you could take over and become the new thing but you also said you want a lot of of you know you said a successful race is when there's a lot of publicity for the race and one question that i got to thinking was and I'm, this is another concern of mine as well the way to get the most publicity for boston is to have an american win it so is there ever attempt are you ever tempted to say, you know what? We don't really need that two, that fourth 207, Kenya. No, I have never, because I love this sport too much. I have never been tempted. I remember the first year Shalee ran the race, she messaged me and she was like, Mary Kate, you're not making this easy on anybody. You know, something like my goal is to make it the most difficult for everybody to win because that way it makes it special. When Des Linden came in second, and then when she won, I want to make it the most difficult race because then it means so much more. It means so much more. Why would you ever want anything else? So yeah, am I going to continue to throw people in? Yeah. If I get a drop, I mean, we had Mary Katani a couple years ago and she got injured and as soon as she drops, no, there's somebody else. I'm going to throw them in and I'm going to keep throwing people in until the final moments 
because I don't want to make this easy on anybody. Did I just sound too harsh? No, that's what we want. That's what we as fans of the, fans of the sport want. Maybe, you know, okay. Shalane's of the world might not want it, but that's what we want. So, no, Shalane won it because it made her step up and she ran the 224, which she currently has the American record at Boston. I mean, that's that's going to stand for a while because Boston is tough to run that 222 is amazing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so I got to ask normally, you're recruiting against the London Marathon. Even last fall, when you moved to October, they moved to October. This is the first time London is in October in 2022. Boston is in April. And they have the biggest budget among the majors. That's pretty well known. They usually get the very fastest athletes. Kipchoge goes there all the time. What was it like this year not having to recruit against them? Well, we're all trying to promote the sport, right? And the nice thing about the London-Boston comparison is that most often certain athletes are attracted to London and certain athletes are attracted to Boston. So oftentimes somebody who will run London would not want to run Boston. They want a paced race. They want a fast race. They want to get a fast time under their belt. I mean, Let's just take Yamal Yimmer, for example. He debuted here last year. He came in um, third, and he ran a 2.10. Not many extremely fast runners want to take on Boston in their debut because it gives them a slower time than if they ran London. So you're talking about different athletes wanting different goals in their career. Sometimes a winner in Boston, once they win Boston, um, that now one Boston, it opens the doors for them to run something fast and then they will go to London. Or say you win London, now you want to take on the challenge and run Boston. So good news, bad news, right? Now you have a bigger pool of athletes to choose from and to assemble a field that you think is going to be interesting and that you think it's going to bring out the best in those racers. Uh, so that was a challenge. The uncertainty of Tokyo certainly is a challenge. Uh, lots of lots of challenges. It's I think it's good news and bad news. I would prefer that um, London was in April, um, just because I think it makes for an exciting season. But I also think um, at the end of the line, you do have to make some difficult decisions in the game field, just because. We have limitations um, in field size. Yeah. Well, I mean, I got to think, looking at the field this year, you know, Jocelyn Jopkowski, she's the reigning London champion. I would have to think if London was in the spring, she'd be going, going back there. I think there's a, I think there's a inherent agreement that you're not going to poach people's defending champions okay. in any way, or you're going to have a good conversation you know, you're the defending London champion. Do you not want to go back to defend? Is Boston your next goal? You know, you, you have those conversations with the athletes themselves, you know, and, and we defer to them. What is their or What are their career goals in a lot of cases? Mm -hmm. Well, I've, I've kind of wondered that, like, sometimes even from an American perspective, like, okay, you guys paid them nice appearance fees, at least the top runners, but I'm always like, it's kind of an act of charity. I mean, they deserve it. As you said, this is their, their profession, but where else are they going to go and get paid? Oh, well, Emily Sisson, Molly Cottle, um, Julie Lanigan, Dan Linden, they've all gone to European races. And 
I don't know what they've gotten paid. I don't know if it's comparable to what they'd get paid in the U.S. Because obviously, if you've just won an Olympic bronze medal like Molly said out, um, your value is probably going to be comparable around the world. So I don't know where that crossover is, Robert. Um, and I don't know what the disparity is. You know, do you get paid less as an American in London? I'm not sure. How do you know in general, like what people get paid? I guess you learned it from your, your predecessor in Boston. I've been doing this since 1997 and I'm mm-hmm. old. Yeah. I think you just kind of, you know, you learn, you learn as you go. Actually, speaking of the money, was your budget the same this year? We have the money. We have like, the largest prize purse of all the majors. You know, if you win Boston, you win $150,000. It's pretty cool. Okay. Good to know. Good. Good stuff. But I, I'm curious, like, this, there's more talent in the field this year than there was last year. Was Is your budget bigger this year, or is it similar to previous years? What's that thing called Fifth Amendment? I, you know, I have to, I have to, you know, I have to pull out your, your phones. Um, yeah, it's all, it's all relevant. Okay, because I, I, I figured you're not going to go into specific dollar amounts, but I thought that question was just general enough that maybe I could get an answer from you. <laughs> when are we going to talk about the women's field? Come on, guys. Well, we spent 30 minutes talking about it amongst ourselves yesterday. We could talk some more. But <laughs> I, I, I'm stunned that you said you want London in the fall. I thought maybe you'd be bribing the London organiza- organizers to permanently be. I mean, you said you want it in the spring to permanently be in the fall. The nice thing is, is that there is so much depth in this world. I mean, if you just look at the top 50 women and top 50 men, there's not enough races to showcase their talent. There really isn't. There's so much depth. And why would we want everything to happen at once? It's better if it's, if it's you know, around the calendar year. And then there are challenges in those, you know, for Olympic trials, Olympics, world champions, chips. Sometimes that interferes with Boston just because of the timings that you cannot run books. Um, that is more concerning to me, but because it's so clearly defi- defined as, you know, the top three from each country. If you guys want to talk a little bit more about the women, one question, last question about the men. The obvious name that's not in Boston has never been in Boston, but claims he wants to run all of the marathon majors <laughs> is Elliot Kipchoge, the greatest marathoner in history. He is amazing, but let's just, for your listeners, you know, McKinley's only two seconds shy of that world record. So, you know, we could have a discussion on that. That would be a whole different podcast. Kipchoge, of course, he has been invited to Boston for the, ever since he was born. Um, he is, he is an amazing athlete. Again, a person with clear goals. Am I focusing on the Olympics? Am I focusing on the world championships? This year, you know, the... For him, he's never run in the World Championships, so it would make sense to run an earlier marathon and then the World Championships. If that's his, I don't know. I don't know if that's his path. You never know. But wouldn't it be cool to have Bikaley this year and Kipchoge next year and then in 2024 to have them both run head-to-head? Is Bikaley still going to be running at that point? I, I, I think that would be awesome, but I don't want these two guys pushing their strollers when they're racing. I want them, you know, going head to head. That's interesting. You know, that's the interesting thing though, right? Especially the aging and, and um, the talent in those 40 year old folks. That's another podcast. Well, yeah, yeah, because I, I just think Kipchoge would be so good. You said you want someone intelligent. He's so intelligent. 
He's always, I mean, the, the thing is, he's always been so motivated. He's never slipped up. He's never let the fame get to him. He will run Boston. The, the thing that, the, the thing that, the, the pace marathon doesn't interest me with him anymore. I mean, he's already won 159, so he's not going to top that. And then I know he's the best paced runner in the world. It appears that he's also the best unpaced runner in the world because he goes to the Olympics and just destroys everybody there too. With a smile, smile on his face. Yes, but I've never seen him run a hilly course. So if you're looking for a hole in the resume, it, I don't think, I think the sport has become way too obsessed with times and these time trials. And my, my argument is, let's spice it up. Let's, you know, like, like in tennis, you you got to win on clay. You got to win on grass. You need to win on the hills. You need to win on the flats. And I, I don't want to see a rabbit every year. I would actually like to see a rabbit in Boston. Let's, let's throw it out there either every other year or every four years just to spice it up and then have no rabbits on these flat courses. And see, How fast would Kipchoge run in London with no rabbits? I've, they had no paces in Chicago for, what, two years? Well, actually, yeah, I should take that back because I didn't enjoy that. But, hey, you know, just do something different <laughs> to, to have a storyline, you know, for people to write about before the race, et cetera. And then set up hurdles at the halfway point, you know, right across the line in Wellesley. We'll just set up some hurdles. Yeah, he will run Boston. Don't worry about it. All right. Well, I, yeah, I'm hoping he runs in 2023 because otherwise we might have to call him out. He said he's run all the majors. And if he doesn't run Boston this year, doesn't run it next year. I mean, if you want to put Krebser on one of the greatest athletes of all time, you can. You know, I don't know how it'll take you. I don't think it'll probably go off his back. He won't really care. But one, all right. Actually, the last thing about the men's race, and then we can talk about the women, is I didn't, I noticed the name Galen Rupp was not on the start list either. And he's a guy who's run Boston a few times. He really wanted to win Boston. Is that just because he's got the world championships in July? It was too quick a turnaround. What did you hear from his people? From his people. So um, the nice news is just everybody. We have Elkana Kabat in the field. He will also be on the world championship team with Galen. And Elkana is running Boston. So that's pretty cool. We've got him in the field as well as Jake Riley, who ran just ran the Olympics. I didn't watch him miss out on those two athletes. Um, Galen, yeah, I'm just going to concentrate on, on world chips. All right. That makes sense. Hi, Mary Kate. Hi. I, this is Weldon. I guess people might be listening to this as a podcast. I had to do some advertising stuff. I checked the press release. I am so excited. I can't believe I got on here and heard people discussing Kipchoge or something. I'm so excited for Boston this year. I want to thank you. I just saw Bekele's name. And for me, I'm like, yes, I wanted a name. For some reason, I wanted that. It still means something to me. And then Camber, big name. Oh, wait, also the fastest marathoner from 2021, 2020. Great job. That's all I'm going to say. Thank you. I'm going to go promote this on the website. <laughs> we got everything I wanted. I guess I could have had Kipchoge, too. That's impossible. Best appearance, everyone, for Weldon. <laughs> love it. Keep going. I will leave. Robert John, if you guys want to talk about this after she goes, great. But thank you. Mary Kate Weldon gets to do guest appearances like that. He's the fastest of us since he actually was like the elite runner. He can just sort of bomb it. Who's the fastest miler of the group? Oh, uh, I ran three fifty six for fifteen hundred. So I think I have Robert beat. Weldon, you probably ran faster. Than that. Uh, I'm jumping back on. I was I was away, but I'm back. I could hear what you guys were saying. Come on, John. I think I ran. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you ran faster than me. But I just you know just throwing out my PB. I'd be competitive with. Some of the best women, if I was in my prime, I'll say that. You know, being a fast miler doesn't translate to being a great podcaster. So, this hope for everybody. 
Yeah, let's hope not. All right, let's talk about this women's race because this was the reason we had you on initially is we saw this women's field and I was like, oh my God, we've got the marathon showdown that I, I wanted. As soon as we saw the full marathon results and we had Jip Kosgai running 217 in London, Jip Chia pulls off the Olympic New York double. We saw them race in Valencia in 2020. I'm like, we need to see them race again. These are the two best women in the world. And you got them and you got Azimaroa, from Ethiopia, who was the runner-up in London, also ran 217. I mean, th- can you tell me about this women's re- field, how it came together? How ex- We know we know Jip Chichi is one that you've been targeting for a while, but you know, how about some of these other women? Who are you excited about? Yeah, so I don't think you least listeners know, but we had chatted about this briefly at the, at the beginning. We are just chatting, but um, Grant's Jip Chichi was actually on the Boston list in 2020 before the race was canceled. So she was going to make her debut in Boston. So we've been eyeing her for quite a while, um, just her world half, you know, two goals there. And um, just knowing that she's a tough runner. She also runs with great joy, doesn't she? She's always um, smiling, mentoring others around her. And the fact that she did a phenomenal job in New York, especially coming off the Olympics. The Olympics was such a strategic race. We're really excited about having her. But we had secured her on very early. So excited about her. And then Jocelyn, obviously, I agree with you. I'm really looking forward to that matchup. Um, just her winning New York and then winning London and winning, um, uh, just her accomplishment. The other thing that's nice about these two women is that they're kind of the next generation of great women, right? We've seen the Barry Katanis. We've seen others who have... Um, succeeded on so many levels and now we're seeing these two great athletes and just seeing the matchup I think is going to be phenomenal to see what they can do and then to mix it up with them obviously bringing in a lot of heavy hitters here Rosa Duranje she came towards the Olympics I think people forget that all in the way but also you know first in Valencia first in Dubai she has a 106 half uh, very talented athlete and then as a Merola Second in London, as you know, and she won Amsterdam this year. I mean, last year, 20, uh, in 2021. Um, she also is a one of six half. So we have a lot of very half, a very quick half marathon runners in the women's field. And then um, you've got Gimmer in here. She's 229, 219.28, sorry. Um, and then I would never, ever pass up the queen of the roads and the kid will die. She just knows this course. This will be her fifth time running Boston. Amazing athlete. Won Boston, London, New York, world champs twice. And while she's been an Olympian, she's placed second in Boston two times and won, as you know, uh, the race. So love Edna. She's, she's great. And I also, the Sarah Hall, Molly Seidel, Des London trio, is certainly going to mix it up. And you saw that with Nell Robots last year, just to have her stay in there. And Dakota Lindworm, you know, smiling for the first half of the race in the main path, leading the way. She is just on fire. She's up and coming. The other person that I'd like to pull out is Viola Cheptu. She's been with that sister, as you know. But the fact that if you watch New York, Fresno's actually kind of mentoring her in her debut. And then she succeeded to come in second in New York. She's a role being, as you know, in the 1500. I think she's a phenomenal talent that we really should watch her. Yeah, I was really impressed with how long she hung with the 
the lead pack in New York and led to a great finish. What what actually you mentioned the Americans, Hole and Seidel and Des Linden. And I'm not surprised to see Sarah Hole and Molly Seidel here. I'm not shocked to see Des here because she's this is her favorite race. She said it multiple times. But what I'm curious about is like she sort of hinted towards maybe moving on to different things. We've seen her tackle the 50K and her last Boston Marathon in the fall went very poorly for her. She was 17th. She wasn't totally healthy. It was her worst marathon since her debut in 2007. When you were talking to her about coming back, is she saying, oh man, I really want to make amends for that. I can't go out like that. Or did you have to convince her at all? She, um, you know, she was a little undertrained due to um, various um, issues going into Boston last year, but she really wanted to. She's, you know, she is the heart of the champion. She's somebody who has never given up on Boston. She could have stepped off the course. She could have done a number of things. She could have not showed up. Um, there's a number of choices she made, but she is always going to be one who's in the game. I've never caught her out. She's highly motivated to succeed at Boston this year. Her results at Boston stand for themselves. Um, her results across all majors stand for themselves. Uh, second in Chicago, second in Boston, first in Boston. You know, a number of top six or seven finishes in New York City. So I think she is attracted to the 50K. I did go out to Oregon and watch that race. And I think she's phenomenal at that race. She's like a metronome, as you know, from her first half and second half splits all along the way. I don't think she's done yet, you know, especially after the Olympic trials, just missing the team. I wouldn't be surprised if she's into the next Olympic cycle in the marathon distance and then taking it from there. But she would be a good one to chat to. But her experience on the course, she's kind of like, you know, Catherine Durham back in the day, you'd see Catherine drop off by one minute, minute and a half, and then she'd yo-yo back up. I just think Des has such a great read on the nuances of the course that she is going to succeed here. Sarah ran Boston. She didn't have the, the best experience. I think Sarah has something to prove here at Boston, as does Kellen Taylor, and as does Stephanie Bruce, and Molly Sedown, who basically has trained on the course throughout her time spent living here in Boston. It's exciting that these women know the course and Kellen and Steph are coming out for a training. Uh, yesterday, we had Sarah Wand to the field as well. And then you have um, some of the up and coming runners. And I love the Canadians. We have uh, Melinda Elmore, Natasha Wolak. They came in ninth and 13th at the Olympics. Uh, one has the Canadian national record. I would love for them to uh, mix it up. And much like Trevor Hoffbauer on the men's side, I would love for the Canadian fastest time at Boston to improve and to improve greatly. I think that would be amazing for Canada. I was thinking, I forgot Seidel is from Wisconsin. I think of her now as being from Boston. I guess she's just been living in Boston. So it's amazing. I mean, she is so tough and to have a non-rabbited race. I mean, one of the appeals for me for Boston was when I was in college and became a big fan of the sport. It was the only race that seemed to be broadcast live. It was always on ESPN back then. And this is before chip timing and everything. And I knew with no rabbits and stuff that I loved to, I could see it from the truck. You could see the leaders and I could see like, oh, there's an American in the background. You can still see the Americans up front. And we've come a long way from the you know 90s when the Americans were kind of struggling. But you know she's going to be mixing it up. You know, very, very exciting there. So amazing job. Just this, We're so excited about it. 
And I think um, another person, Charlotte Purdue, excited to see her race here. She's the third fastest uh, woman of all time from Great Britain. She's in the field. So there's a number of very accomplished women. Another thing about the women's field that I love is that the talent from the master's group is amazing. You start you start with Anna Kiplatt, then you go to Melinda Elmore, and then down to Natasha Wodak, Roberta Grona, Kate Landau, and it's coming top 10 here in Boston. So all those women are run sub-232. And I think that's just a testament to how women are staying in the game locker and succeeding at, uh, at, at very high levels uh, in the sport. And the men, the men are doing the same, but particularly the world here, it's a very fast field. If you look at the top... I don't know. Like, how, who do we have under? Let's let's just take a quick look. You know, under that two thirty mark. Um, I'm gonna count it to mock action. I'm gonna do that right now because you guys good on stats. Uh, I can't. It's frozen. But um, probably about what thirty ish. Under two in the two thirty or under range, which I think is a great testament. Both feels the men's and the women's post starts. Uh, what we do is we have about. 60 and 60, so about 50 open and then 10 master in each group. And we do, we limit it because we really like to vet the athletes, research the athletes, know about the athletes, be able to talk about the athletes, but also to offer them personal hydration on the course so that everybody's getting the same treatment. Um, whether you've run 238 or run 217, you're being treated in that same special way at Boston. So that's, that's how we're handling those pro starts. There was one Masters runner that you left out that's going to be running this year. Mary-Kate Shea. Nope. You, you run Boston every year. This is amazing to me. Yeah, I have. I've run the past 25, so that was my goal a long time ago, just to get 25 consecutive. And to qual- I qualified from all of them except for one, I think, um, which was 2013. Uh, yeah, so I succeeded in that goal, but now with the mile returning the 5k the the marathon it was very exciting um i did my 25th virtually last year because i'd never been at the finish line i always go to the starting line i line them up i bring them out to the start they do their waves and then get them off and it's very stressful because you want everybody to absolutely make it you know people throw away their watches they stop in the port john they do all sorts of things it's like hurting a group of uh, very fast antelopes uh onto the starting line so I did get to see the finish last year, and uh, that was phenomenal. Um, of course, it was stressful. We ride back to, from Hopkinton to Boston, and was in the bus with Mark Carroll, who's the head of the VA high-performance coach, and we're just devouring every bit of news about the race because you do miss a significant portion. Yeah, so this year will be um, similar. Looking forward to it. No marathoning. You're done. I'm not done. Oh, just- I'm not done. The streak um, stopping at 25 in a row. But that I couldn't even imagine that, though. Like, this is the stress of having to do your job and then to hop in a marathon. That would be, I was just amazed by that. So, actually, it's pretty, it, it's pretty cool because uh, nobody's bothering you. <laughs> Nobody's talking to you. Uh, you get just, you know, you get some hours and you just get to go on the course and enjoy it and see it really from that participant viewpoint, which so, is great. One thing that w- was interesting to me was when I heard you on this other podcast was you said it was always a dream of yours that, you know, as a runner, you, you know, you, 
you said you're out there and you have no idea what's going on in the elite race. You've spent all year assembling this field and you don't even know what's going on. The only year you had a fan yell at you was when Des won. But you said you thought there's at the finish line, you always wanted there to be sort of a scoreboard like there is for other sports. And people yes. could say, here's the top 10. Here's who DNF'd, you know, a score. And it wasn't clear to me, does that exist now? Or is that still a dream? Because I thought that I thought that was a brilliant idea because it kind of forces the average runner, the amateur runner to become a fan of the elite level of the sport. Because I think if we present it well to them, they, they will become fans. Yeah. And I think um, one thing about the fans who are in the Boston cores and the participants, they're very educated about the sport and they're very into it. They really like the sport and they know that they're, they're much more informed um, than other races around the country. So we did, I think we began it two years ago, but yes, there is a um, a board which lists the winners, but we need to really punch that out. And, and because I, you know, I would just, as soon as I crossed the line, whoever I saw, officials, broadcasters, anybody, um, I just need to know, give, give me the quick update and, and go from there. Cause it, yeah. and then I do tape both races. And then after the race, I'll go and I'll watch them a couple of times each. And I just want to see where the strategy, where the strategy is happening, happening, where are the breaks, uh, what are people doing? Um, how relaxed are they? How are they holding their arms? What does their stride look like? Are they moving back and forth across the road? How are they picking up the hydration? Just all the things that go into really, um, micro examining how that race played out and that factors into what happens the following year with this entire group and then with the individuals themselves so it is a lot of research that's cool that you watch it because i'm known for always criticizing marathon broadcasts and i'm like i don't know if anyone of these races watches these broadcasts because i find myself yelling at the screen a lot of the time oh i yell at the screen i yell at the screen and you work, I found out now that you work in some other broadcasts, like you help out with Chicago and their broadcasts. So a few broadcast questions. Actually, I didn't tell Jonathan. I didn't think we'd have so much fun. I didn't think we'd be recording this long. I've got to run to an appointment in about five minutes, so I may have to jump off. But Did we talk about the women enough? But ask me a question. But like on the broadcast, I think the biggest problem is you're broadcasting two sporting events at once because... I, 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 as I've become an NFL fan, I lived, I moved in Baltimore. Now I'm trying to watch now a Cowboys game and a Ravens game at the same time. It's not enjoyable. It's very hard to do. And I, I find myself just watching one and not the other. So I think there needs, you guys to try to separate the finish times by more than like, I want one race finishing with other ones at halfway. Maybe that's not realistic, but do the producers and the, and the talent on air know like the one thing that they should be looking for, in my opinion, is the break. Now in Boston, sometimes someone breaks away and comes back, but most of these other races, they're running in a pack and then it breaks and that's it. The race is over. The race does not end at the finish line. The race really ends at mile 21 or 22, whenever that person goes ahead, because they don't yeah, really get caught. Yeah, absolutely. Gone. In Boston, don't forget the four races. So we have the pro wheelers as well, which um, you should take a look at those fields. They're absolutely stunning um, on both sides. We have the Olympic gold medalists and we have past champions, just all the, all the accomplished racers there. But at Boston, we, we never, um, you never lose uh, footage of the race. So it'll always be in a box screen. So you see it. Um, the broadcasters may not be commentating on it at that moment, but we do have that split screen for all the races, which I think is really important. Uh, very important. 
it, it's interesting. It would be it would be interesting for you to take a step inside the booth because it is really intense. You know, oh, I bet they are looking at all these different screens. These very small individuals running, maybe better identified than than some others or not, or maybe a ringer in the group that isn't identified. And there's a lot going on there. Um, but it does take a real professional to a be able to be well versed in all of the research that goes into understanding. Like you guys are deep into this sport. You know everything about all of these athletes and you've done your homework and you write your articles and and you have your analysis, which most of the broadcasters, to be truthful for you, uh, read your analysis and they may even comment on that analysis in the broadcast booth. So what the work you're doing does translate directly to those broadcast booths. But it is there's a lot going on. I can see there being mistakes made, but I can also see room for improvement. Agree. Okay, I've got a radical wheelchair idea. Okay, what's this one? I love your ideas. What do you got? Well, runners can't, you know, a marathoner can do two, maybe three marathons a year. These wheelchair racers can do all all the majors. I mean, we saw that this year. They could do them all. So, again, I think the biggest problem with the television broadcast is there's too many, too much stuff going on at once. There's too many finishes. It's kind of distracting. So, why not just have a super wheelchair race? Combine or may have two, two, two majors a year. So, you know, we could, you could have, I don't know how much you pay the wheelchair people that if the winner makes $50,000 instead of having three of those in the fall, you have one that has a $150,000 purse and it's the super, it's the spring world championship marathon race. And then you have a fall. And then that way it would make it a little bit easier for TV. It would make it easier for the police. They wouldn't have to shut the course down. And, you know, because the able-bodied runners aren't running six marathons a year. But the wheelchair runners are, and it's just, it's kind of the same storylines most weeks because it's the same people competing. Yeah, I mean, the Paralympics is a good example of that showcasing those those athletes. Um, I I may disagree with you because I do like the the ability um, for everyone to have the same experience. I do think we have work to do in this division and highlighting how phenomenal these athletes are. Uh, yeah, there's a lot to think about. I think it's, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's a relatively new. Um, well, Boston was the first to have wheelers in the race back back in the day, maybe 30 years ago. Um, yeah, it's it's a lot to think about. Okay, Mary Kay, I think that's going to do it for us. We've taken an hour of your time. We really appreciate you coming on to talk about the 2022 Boston Marathon fields. Like I said at the top, I can't wait for, until the race in April. I know you can't wait. So just thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Jonathan and Robert and Weldon. Keep up the good work. Yes, thank you. We will see you in April or perhaps before then. All right. Take care. Get electrolytes without the junk. Go to drinklmnt.com slash let's run for a free Sample pack, six flavors sent your way, $5 shipping. You don't like it, I'll refund your money. And don't forget, the Milrose Games are absolutely loaded this year. Get your tickets now, January 29th in the New York City Armory. It's going to be awesome. Go for the racing, find the after party afterwards. Tomorrow, we got the Friday 15 for Supporters Club members. Go to let'srun.com slash subscribe. We break down the Houston Marathon. Is Kira Dimato really going to consider going for the American record in the marathon? Find out tomorrow.